Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA, the 11th hour. Doug Herendine, good morning. 946-0435, 946-0435. Hopefully you do call closer to the beginning of the program uh, as opposed to the end of the program because I was listening to the last call that Dr. John got and thought, oh, man, what? call earlier next time because the guy was making some interesting points. But if you have antiques or collectibles, anything like that, we have the guy who used to be the collector inspector in HGTV, who for years had What You Got, the nationally syndicated show that we had Sunday mornings on Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA for years, the one and only Harry Rinker. Hey, ho, ho, ho. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Harry. Time to go buy something. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, now, this is something I've thought about. I've read that... When people make purchases, even if it's like uh, a buck or something, that there's a certain amount of endorphins that are released in the brain in some people, and it just makes them somewhat gratified, even if they really shouldn't have had an auto bought it. Any truth to that that you know of? I believe it. <laughs> no. uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. One of the things that the Antiques and Collectibles community does, is it, it, see, it operates in isolation of all these other communities, and yet... I know that what applies universally in medical, some medical terms and so forth, the way I study vision and how vision affects what you see, because it's a, vision is such an important part of the antiques and collectibles trade in the sense that if you don't look at something the right way, you're not going to see it the right way either. And so I, I just, uh, interestingly enough, uh, recently uh, saw a big article about what the national sports leagues are doing to attract the Gen Z group that's the group born after 1966 and they started raising a number of issues about how they're not getting younger fans to become avid fans now they get younger people that are fans but they want dedicated fans and their comment is if you don't get them committed by age 18 you're not going to get them when they're 35 and i thought wow if we ever thought about the antics and collectible straight like that we wouldn't have any future it's a shame too you know and i was thinking about that earlier and uh, we, I want to get to a couple other things. And by the way, Clarkster, if you're listening, Harry got your emails. We can talk about that anytime you want to call in. Clarkster listens to us from time to time. In fact, he started listening to WRTA because he used to listen to Harry on the weekends. And when he ended up doing the show once a month here, he just followed him on the uh, the uh, Lightner Radio yeah, app a, and WRTA.com. We have a number of people that do that. We have a number of people that listen. I want to... You know, right here at the beginning of the show, get a plea. Come on, gang, I need some questions that I can research. Uh, you know, you, you're welcome to call in and ask your questions, and we love it when you do that. But you can also email me. Uh, my email address is harrylrinker at aol.com. Don't forget to put that middle initial in there. Send me your questions. Send me some JPEG pictures. Or you could send them to WRTA, right? Yeah, Doug at uh, lightnerradio.com is always You bet. Good. And yeah, then and Doug will forward them on to me. And... You know, I, 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 I make this plea because I'm in the 34th year of Rinker on Collectibles, and I often spin off some of the questions that come from our WRTA listeners into my weekly uh, uh, syndicated column, and I want to try to keep it going for one more year. So I have to write 20 more question and answer columns, and I need 80 objects. So come on, gang, look around the house, dig in the closet, find something you're interested in, and fire us off an email. Do uh, anyway, do it whilst to... you do it whilst you can. Something yeah. I was wondering about, and the thing that made me think about this was uh, the way uh, music radio works. Uh -huh. Is you're playing stuff that people remember, versus you're playing stuff that is a format unto itself. For instance, if you listen to classical music, 
chances are not too many people from Beethoven's time are listening to you. You know, if True. if you're playing that True. stuff. But in other words, you you program classical music because you believe in the format. There are people that do certain types of oldies stations, and we have one here. It's not it's not oldies per se. It's more like classic hits these days. It's more contemporary. But the people that that are behind the music on it aren't necessarily saying, okay, we're going to do, you know, like we're going to burn the same 100 songs. They've, they've got thousands, and they put it together the way they like, and it's a celebration of that type of music. And that has its fans, and it's probably got some detractors too. I, I happen to be a fan, and I get to work on that station. Well, Doug, I, you raise a point that's absolutely critical. You know, I told you I track all kinds of things outside my field. I tracked uh, oldies radio and elevator music. Because oldies radio changed, you know. If you look at oldies radio classic thirty hits. years, yeah, yeah, and, and and classic hits. If you look at them thirty years ago versus now, you know, uh, class, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Now you got classic radio, but oldies radio is a good indicator to me about what generations are hot in the collecting field, because uh, you know those stations are very tuned in to what their listeners want to hear and. And the time period the listeners want to hear stuff, and so you know, all of a sudden, when they're not playing fifty hits anymore, or sixty hits, or seventy hits even today, but eighties and nineties hits, yeah, you know, I got to pay attention to that uh, because I got to start looking at the stuff in the antiques and collectibles secondary market that comes from those time periods, and saying, hey, you know, this is one of the reasons why that stuff is taken off, and the older stuff is dying off. Well, I'll give you an example of a specific artist, the Beatles. I remember when I was yes. uh, when I was going into sixth grade. We're all standing at our new school building. We we got reassessed after after five grades. You moved to a different building, and I'm standing there. We're standing in line for our homerooms, which was last year. We had them before you're off on your own, and I got into almost a physical uh, fight with a kid because he was talking about how much garbage was on the radio, and he just wanted to hear the new stuff. Well, you know, eventually station, there were stations that, that did that. But this is in 1970 or so, and I said, I said to him, um, well, who do you like? The Beatles. I says, you realize you're complaining about all the stuff that's in between the current hits, which, right, which exactly. is called gold. And how I knew this stuff at the time, I don't know, but gee, what a surprise I got into radio. I said, eventually, the Beatles music is going to be considered oldies and... You know, in the, in the classic sense, not the oldies format, but the the older music that fits between the newer songs. And he said, you take that back. They're always going to be the Beatles. And it's like, and the guy, and luckily a teacher comes along because at this point the guy's ready to pop me one. I'm ready. It's like, okay, you're this stupid. Fine, we'll go. But it struck me as his view of it was centered on something specific like that. There, I, well, our station plays the Beatles, right? The the station yeah. WTRN for the local folks, uh, classic favorites. They, they play the Beatles. We play the Beatles there. There are people in my business, and I've told them that, they say, well, you obviously don't know what you're doing. Nobody plays the Beatles in this format. Well, we do. Well, yeah, you can't be successful. We are. Well, no, it's because the accepted logic is, and I usually say, crap, because I, it's like if you want to play them, play them. If, if somebody across the street doesn't play them and they beat you, well, then, then they prove their point. But I, see, here's the thing. If I like big band music, I was listening to some on a distant station over the weekend, I, I started to realize this is stuff that my parents knew, and they're gone, unfortunately, very unfortunately. But their their life history, they knew it. You eventually were going to get to a point where, say, somebody like 
the Beatles, there won't be anybody alive that remembers them as a contemporary recording artist. And I hope it's not for a while because I remember them as that. Well, that's that's it's interesting. I want to uh, reinforce your point a little bit. Uh, as you know, I sit on the Citizen Stamp Advisory Committee, which advises the Postmaster General on stamps, uh, design and subject matter stamps. And we did, we have what we call a music icon series. Mm-hmm. And we did one for Elvis, Jimi Hendrix, and, the Be- and John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, I, w- I would have thought that John Lennon would have outsold the other two. That's not true. Jimi I w- Hendrix, I, I Hendrix outsold John Lennon. It's interesting. But then again, how many things are out there honoring Hendrix, but you always hear stuff about honoring Elvis or the Beatles? Well, they forget, I, they forget I hate people to like tell Hendrix. you this, but Elvis outsold the other two, two almost combined. Okay. Well, that, now that, that... And, and that surprised me. I've got to tell you, that really surprised me that it, that, that happened. Because I, you know, I, I once wrote a column that entitled Elvis Was Dead, and I got so much hate mail from Elvis lovers that they that I had to had hide behind my screen door for a number of days, though. Yeah, but see... But anyway, the, but but no, play- you're right. You're right, though. It is interesting. There are, there, there are music groups, and I think the Beatles is one of them, whose music is going to transcend multiple generations. I mean, that's a tribute to their music, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think... You have artists like Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. Perry Como, Doris Day, you, you know, Doris Shore, uh, Dinah Shore, right? Nobody nobody listens to their music anymore. Well, the station I was listening to, they, they were out of Canada, and most people, if they even had a foggy idea of what I'm talking about, knows who they are. But see, this is, this is the thing I'm thinking about. Sinatra's music endures, and there are people that weren't even born before he died, that love his music. Same with uh, Elvis. They're well, not, we, it, it, I mean, the man died in the late 70s. There are people born after that who, yeah, I'm an Elvis fan. Okay. Well, it's like Johnny Cash, too. Yeah. Country music. Uh, or, yep. or, or Hank Williams or Hank Williams yep. Jr. There, there are people that will still go for music even if they're past the time of having hits. And I'm yeah, wondering, but, the reason I bring this up and people may say, well, come on, you know, it's like you're, you're talking radio and music. Not necessarily. And we have to take a break, and I'll ask this question, then pick it up with Harry when we get back. What antique or collectible has ever been cyclical like this where supposedly nobody cares about it anymore, but it comes back later? Because I know there are a bunch of them that haven't yet because I got them from my folks over the years, and it's like it's not a retirement. Let's put it that way. But if you have a question, if you have a comment about what we just talked about, and I want to hear Harry's comment when we get back, but if you have something you want to know what you got— This is the time. Five minutes before noon is not necessarily the best time, but we'll take it if we can answer the question. 946-0435 on Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. Get on board. 946-0435. Your calls are next on Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. I'm Pete Weeks, Blair County District Attorney. And I'm Dave Reese, Chief of Logan Township Police. We want to talk about human trafficking in Blair County. Human trafficking is real, and it happens every day in Blair County, right under our noses. Locally, children are trafficked or pimped out by parents, family, or trusted adults. And poverty, disabilities, addiction, and more make adults vulnerable. So join us and the rest of the Human Anti-Trafficking Response Team this January for Human Trafficking Awareness Month to hold traffickers accountable and protect children and the vulnerable in our community. For more information, call or text 814-944-3585 
or contact Family Services on Facebook today. Again, 814-944-3585 or the Victim Services page of Family Services Incorporated. Presented as a public service of the stations of Lightner Communications. Preparing our children for the journey we call life. Inspired learning. Steeped in community. With an understanding they are part of something so much larger. Pennsylvania Public Schools were created for this very purpose. To serve every child as they travel their own path. Success starts here. Pennsylvania's Public Schools. Go to successstartshere.org. Sponsored by the PA School Boards Association. When you want local talk, there's only one place to get it. Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. Well, one-fourth of the Beatles. There are people too young to get what the bumper music is. Sorry, not going to. As as CNN says, you could Google it. 946-0435. Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. Doug Herondine and Harry Rinker of What You Got. And if you have an antique or collectible you want to give him, give him some information on and he'll tell you what you got, uh, now's the time to call in. But I asked Harry a question before we went to the break. I said, you know, we're talking certain music becomes evergreen. Sinatra is going to continue to sell. Elvis is going to continue. Beatles. Stones, I would imagine, will continue to sell. And, and certain others. But the question I have is, has any antique or collectible been wildly hot years ago, cooled off completely, and then a whole new generation finds and is like, I'm thinking maybe Fiesta wear, but that's you know kind of limited. What do you think, Harry? Well, there was a time when I thought everything would recycle eventually, that other things would get more expensive and that stuff would get lower and lower in price until it attracted a new group of collectors, but that doesn't work anymore. I wrote a book in 1988 called How to Make the Most of Your Investments in Antiques and Collectibles. And it was a book where there was a theory in there about market recycling constantly and how to predict it and whatever. That went all, all that went out the window in, in the 1990s. Uh, today, uh, chances of any collecting category, that, that is very quiet and very dead. Let's take, for example, homo figurines. Mm-hmm. The, the chance of them ever, ever, ever catching on again is negligible to none. Um, the, the, the answer is that you have to remember something to collect it. You have to be exposed to it. You have to deal with it. And, you know, when, when um, the cartoon, not, not the cartoon, when the cable companies that re-ran the uh, Nickelodeon, when they started to rerun all those old black and white TV shows that had a lot of collectibles associated with it. All of the trade thought, oh, this is really wonderful. The new generation will come along. They will fall in love with those shows, and they will buy all this stuff from the secondary market and create these great collections again. Never happened. Never happened. Why? Because while they loved the show, they never saw the merchandise. They never had any exposure to merchandise. They never handled it. So if you rely on things recycling, the only way they're going to recycle, if you get a group of people or an auction company or somebody who's going to manipulate the market to create the recycle. I mean, there was a time when Martha Stewart could have said, collect X, and the market would have gone crazy. Okay, The market doesn't listen to Martha Stewart's anymore, or Oprah Winfrey's for that matter. Uh, they learned that a lot of those you know, re- recycles were really just crazes, and they cooled off as rapidly as they began. And so 
I came up with a concept years ago called endangered collecting categories, collecting categories that were around for a long time, sometimes as much as a century, although not quite always. And today nobody wants the stuff. You can't give it away. Copper lusterware is a great example. Copper lusterware sells today for the same price it brought in 1930. I mean, it, it went up at, in the 50s and 60s, but it just crashed after that. And considering inflation, it's gone backwards then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I don't give you much hope for any of that. Now, is there a recycling? Interesting that there are some general categories where you could talk about it. Interest in local history. You know, you always assumed local history collectors had to be individuals who, uh, who for one reason or another, um, you know, grew up in the region, were born in the region, had family ties to the region. And when those extended families started to die out, we thought, well, regional collecting is dead. Today, it's fascinating. A lot of people that move into a region, even though they weren't born there, even though they had no connection with the region until they got there, have started to become interested in local history and buying local history stuff. And so one of the things that surprised a lot of us is that if an object has a local history connection, say something from Altoona is sold in Altoona, mm-hmm. it, it, it tracks a good price. Uh, you know, and, and the buyer may not be someone who's from Altoona. It's fascinating. to It's been fascinating to watch that aspect of it. I'm thinking of Altoona beer or things involving the yeah. railroad. Well, well, you know, there, well, Petsy Railroad stuff, of course, is very big out near Neck of the Woods, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, beer, beer, Local beer was a huge collectible in the 1980s and 90s because that was a whole category called breweriania. Um, most of the people that remember drinking the local beers are dead. Are not dead, but dying anyway, or getting older. Let's put it that way. Try to be nice about this. Uh, but, you know, if you didn't drink it, why do you want it? Uh, I mean, some of the microbreweries have revived some of the local uh, brews. That's okay. But, you know, I remember uh, there was a beer uh, in the Allentown area called Horlockers, another one in Reading called Sunshine Beer. Well, you go up and on the Internet and look at Horlocker and, and Sunshine Beer memorabilia that shows up today, and it doesn't bring, except for the rare, except for the scarce pieces, the hard-to-find pieces, it doesn't bring anywhere near what it brought years ago. Uh, memory, memory is very much associated with collecting. You know, you've... Memory is critical, actually, to collecting. You've got to have a memory to, to do it. Now, on the other end, there are nuts like me who say, well, I don't remember face jugs, but I'm going to collect them, and so now I have almost 150 of them. But then again, but, when when I started collecting radios, they were all from anything that was in my era. It's like, oh, yeah, it's it's nice, it's, it's cute, it's a radio, but if it had tubes, well, now I'm interested. Well, you know, but it's interesting, too, because just like you feel about tube radios— Remember the transistor collecting radio craze? Yeah, I, I when, the, when when that oh, stuff but, started but all, that all that was huge. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll pick that up in a second here because we do have Clarkster on the line, and I want to give him a, a chance to to talk with you before we have to go to the next segment here. Clarkster, good morning. You're on WRTA. Remind folks what area you're from. Um, outside of Philadelphia, suburban Philadelphia, Montgomery County. Okay. Uh, I sold, Doug, I sold a lot of tubes, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago. My father was a Philco technician. Wow. At the C and Tioga plant. So anyway, um, Harry, how you doing? 
Good. I, I've got your three questions, and I'm going to pick the one I want to answer. <laughs> okay, that's fine. How does that, does that sound? That doesn't sound very kind to you, does it? Well, hey, I, I sent you at least a few things there. You sent me three things, and I appreciate that. I wish I could get other WRT listeners. Uh, I could probably me. dig up more. Uh, but, yeah, well, um, that's, okay. That, that's okay. I, what I want to talk to, because I, it has a fascinating backstory, is you have a souvenir booklet from the American-Polish participation uh, in the 1939 World's Fair, right? Right. Now, it, you said it's over 100 pages in length. I wish I got to treat to train you to send me the size because I think I did some homework and I think it was in a newspaper format or like a magazine format, right? It's a magazine, small, yeah, small like a magazine, yeah. Right, and and the and the color cover is really nice. It shows the the Polish pavilion at the fair and features the American Polish flags and so forth. You want to know what it's worth? Well, interestingly enough, the Polish pavilion at the 1939 New York World's Fair was located in what was called the government zone. Two architects from Poland, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce their name. I think one is Chablutsky and the other one is Galinowski, uh, designed the pavilion. It, it cost a million dollars to build in 1939. That's Whoa. a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. Uh, it was 70,000 square feet at space for 111,000 exhibits. It opened on May the 3rd, 1949, which marked the 148th anniversary of Poland's first constitution. Now, inside the building, it was divided into galleries. There was a court of honor that featured documents that stressed Poland's democratic traditions. There was another section that called attention to Poland's contribution to the settling of the United States. And, and also, there was a hall of science in that building that had uh, featured 200 Polish inventions and stressed its maritime and it had an attached bar, cafe, and deluxe restaurant. Outside the building was a bronze statue of King Ladislaw II, Jahilio, or however, uh, by a very famous sculpture it was on a big pedestal. After, uh, after the fair was over, the Polish government exile donated to the city of New York, and it's still in Manhattan Central Park. And the murals from the pavilion were housed at the Lemoyne, Lemoyne Maine College or housed at Lemaine, L E capital M A Y College in Syracuse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on September first, nineteen thirty nine, this was right at the end of the first year of the World's Fair, Germany invaded Poland. Now a day later at ten thousand members of the Polish National Alliance gathered at the pavilion to give their support for a free and independent Poland. Well, the Polish government went into exile, which is interesting because I suppose the question was raised of who owned the pavilion, the, the Polish government in Poland or the government exile. Well, the government exile was recognized, and they actually kept the building open for the 1940 season. Now, that's rare because a number of other uh, pavilions involved with the um, German invasion uh, closed down. So when the New York's fair ended in 1940, the Polish government exile sent most of the artifacts to Chicago for storage in the Polish Museum of America. And they're still there. And But the pavilion itself was torn down. Okay, now, when people ask me, what do we sell in the antiques and collectibles business, I tell people we sell stories, Story, dreams, yeah. and wonder. And I tell you, now I've given you a great story about your thing, right? Don't get right. your hopes up. Uh, your copy is only in fair to good condition because I could see it scuffed up around the edges. Yeah. And and much to my surprise, and I really, you know, I get surprised occasionally when I go out and do research, Clarkster. I 
I got my surprise is there's virtually no interest in this at all, <laughs> and that anywhere, it, its value is between eight and twelve bucks. Yeah. Well, it's I didn't a, think it was going to, you know, fund my re- the rest it, of my it, retirement, it, but. Anyway, no, it's uh, not going to. Yeah, well, that's 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 its retail value. If you get three to four bucks for it, you're out of the game. Yeah. But the thing, but the thing about it with this story, a great story like that, and how one object can tell you so much about history and how people reacted to things, and and the fact that the Polish government kept that building open, the Polish government exile kept that building open in 1940, it was a cause of national pride. For mm-hmm. Poles in America, you know, in terms of their freedom, their independence, and it was a symbol. And yet, here it is, 1921, and we don't even remember any of it. 80, 80 years ago, you know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Quick other question. I have a uh, binder that I've put a lot of old World War II money in, paper money, uh, you, you mean from, from various from, countries from in Germany? Europe. From Pardon different me? countries abroad? Pardon me? Where, money from where? United States or? No, foreign, Europe. Well, it's too bad. If it was United States money, it's always worth the value of the bill. Yeah, I know, right. I... <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when, when the GIs went through Germany and went through a number of these other countries and they would come into a village and they would liberate it, they would go into the bank and the bank vaults would be loaded with all this this currency. And, you know... It would be nice to assume it all wound up in the federal government's hands, but it didn't. GIs confiscated huge piles of it, and they brought it back. If, if you glued the bills into your notebook, which was a common thing we did back in that time, no. uh, you may have ruined the bulk of their value unless you can float them off the paper without doing any serious damage. No. But the simple truth is that, that most of the bills, no matter what the denomination, are worth between 25 and 50 cents. The market for them, interesting enough, Clarkster, is um, the uh, reenactment groups that, you know, the World War II reenactment groups. Yeah. Beca- because those reenactment groups that portray the German units, uh, they get credit for what they call their kits, you know, the stuff they have on their back. And so they always like to have envelopes with German IDs in them and German money in them and all the rest of that type of stuff. But the market's literally flooded. Now, could you have in the midst of all that stuff, one unusual one that might be worth a few dollars. Well, the fact that it's been brought home, folded, or whatever happened to it, pasted in an album and so forth, it's not in the condition that the collectors will will want it in except as a curiosity piece. Well, okay, some of it is, like you say, and some of it is fairly, very good condition, but there are other countries like France. Yeah. Uh, uh, France, the Netherlands, Italy... You know, and stuff yeah, like and that. The, the, and again, the difficulty, okay, first of all, grading anything, whether it's coins or currency or antiques or whatever, is a specialized field. And to the general public, grading looks very easy. You know, oh, it looks good to me, but, you right. know, but surprisingly enough, the criteria that the graders use are very, very different from that. Uh, if you had a scale of one to the 70, where 70 was the tops, most of the stuff you're looking at is probably, even if you got it off and successfully moved the goo from the back, you're probably looking at a 25 to 10 grade. Uh, but but it's it's fun for what it is. Uh, you can't take it overseas and redeem it, that's for sure. Uh, uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, it still, still was fun things to have, and 
I assume you got it from your uncle or your dad or whoever was over there. Actually, uh, my father-in-law, who served, you know. Or, yeah, your father-in-law is, you know, we've got a question in the house, which we'll do at another show, but your father-in-law, I want to meet your, your father-in-law sounded like a neater guy than your parents. He had a real pile of stuff and some neat stuff, too. Uh, he was also a stamp and coin collector. Oh, you mentioned that. You mentioned that to me that you have all these stamps too. And I, and I, um, you know, one of these times I did a column about stamps and getting rid of a stamp collection. And I'll tell you what, let me uh, ask Doug to make a note that when we do the show in February to ask me about stamps. And I'll try to go into a kind of a general litany of what happens if you got a box of old stamps and bunch of old stamps up in the attic and i know he's got first day covers and all the rest of that type of stuff right and the answer is is they have little they don't have a lot of value okay unfortunately you know that stamp stamp collecting is still one of the leading hobbies collecting hobbies in the u.s but at the same time its numbers are declining rapidly the american philatelic society has been losing membership rates the rate is phenomenal, actually, over the last several years. So, so if you'd like to help them out there in Belfont, join the join the organization. We have to take a break okay. here. Is that okay, Clarkster? Thanks, Thanks, Doug. Thank you very much. Bye. Was there anything left uh, that you wanted to follow up on the... Uh... No, no, I think the problem with talking about stamps and piles of stamps is I, it's a long conversation, and I think we'll postpone that till February or March, whenever it's convenient. Of course, we could postpone it forever if people would call up and fill up the phone line, <laughs> uh, which would be a good idea, actually, but no. Just a, uh, just a hint, hey? Uh, but no, we have a couple other topics you'd like to talk about, and, and, and I would be delighted to it, too. I did mention to you that, hey, in the good news, I got a golden ticket. Now, you know, you, when you think of the golden ticket, you think Willy of Willy Wonka, Wonka yeah. and the Chinese... Uh, but here down in Florida, golden ticket is a is a ticket to a vaccination center. So uh, you're you're uh, you're in Florida for the winter, and and by the way, uh, Florida one of the states that's allowing anybody who is 65 and older to get the vaccine, whether you are a state resident or not. Which is well, there's some controversy you, on that. Yes, you can get you can get the vaccine. That's true if you can get on a list A and B, able to get on the list in such a way that your name comes to the top. Now, what they do down here is they have a they have a company called Everbright, which is a ticket company that sell tickets to like sporting events, and right. concerts, and right. stuff. Right, people around here have used them. Right. So what happens is that once a week, Everbright releases a set of appointments for about a week or two weeks in the future, and you you have to dial into a, a line where you can you get notified on your your um, computer and on your phone. Now, when the phone rings and you're lucky enough to be on your computer, you get on the site and jump on immediately, and hopefully you can get in a queue to get tickets at one of the times. However, however, there are 21,000 people on the list, and there's usually only about 250 slots. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get on in the first five minutes, and if you don't get in a queue that lets you, you don't pick a time that lets you get all the way to the end before the tickets are all sold out, you lose out. It took me a month. So I got on, in a queue, and I, I did it a smart way. I went to the, one of the last appointments that week instead of one of the earlier ones and clicked on that. And, and they won't let you click on two or three times. You pick one, and you take your chances. And I finally, you get in the line, and it says, oh, well, you're in the line. And if when 
and get done processing the tickets available for that hour and you're still in the line, you'll get one, but otherwise you're dead in the water again. Yeah. So I finally got one. I get my first flu vaccine Friday the 22nd at one, between 1.30 and 2. Uh, you couldn't sign up for your spouse. You couldn't sign up for a friend or anything else like that either. You know, it was one and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Linda may go along with me just to see if we can talk her in, although she's not too happy about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have had success, others have not. But anyway, and now what I'm hoping is that when I get my first shot, they'll give me an appointment for a second shot, and I don't have to go through the system again. I also left my name in the system, and I was hoping that, well, maybe they won't take it out and I could register again, but next time sign up one for somebody else. But, you know, I don't know that my phone isn't ringing and my computer isn't going off this week, so I'm beginning to wonder whether or not, you know, once you get a ticket, that's it for you. Um, but uh, we also found out that someone hijacked the Everbright site down here and has been handing out false tickets, and it got a big note saying, if you have one of these false tickets, you can show up, but you're not getting your shot. Lovely. So, so now you get to the point, well, which one do I have? Well, they changed the location, and I got a notification of the location change, so I'm pretty confident I have that. But, I mean, but my wife finally found a doctor uh, at a local hospital who claimed she's going to have shots in her office by the end of the month, and my wife got an appointment for March the 1st, I think she told me. But, you know, that's, there's no guarantee. I mean, we hear rumors down here that Publix, is, which is a grocery store, is going to be having shots. And in several counties, they've created lists. But, you know, getting on the list doesn't mean anything, especially if there's 20,000 people on the list. Or if they don't have the vaccine when you get or there. Or they don't have the vaccine. That's the whole other point to it. And, and you know, CVS and... And Walgreens down here says they're going to have it in my my hospital system, uh, Orlando Health. I saw one of my doctors from there, and they said, well, Harry, Orlando Health expects to have it in the hospital by the end of, uh, by the end of uh, this month and give it to the 65-plus people that are patients, that are, that are clients, you know, of doctors at the hospital. But, there's, but I kept looking around for any list I could sign up. I kept calling my doctor and right. making a list. The answer is no. Uh, but okay, but I'm going to get one. Yeah. Well, uh, that's good. Now, here's the thing. When you went online, how much of a – was it an arduous process or was it – Oh, oh this is it was – it it's like rolling a dice. I, the three previous times, I got online but not fast enough. By the time I got – even into the ability to select a time, every space was taken. Well, the, I mean, but I mean, when, when you did it, was it easy enough to navigate it? Not the number of people trying oh, to. Oh, no. But... No, my okay. goodness. You get in there, and then you, you, it says tickets available, and you click on it, and it says, oh, uh, well, wait, you have to wait a minute. You have to click on the fact that there's a ticket possibility. Then you go into a queue to get a ticket for that period of time, and you wait in that queue to see... When your name comes up in that queue, because the computer takes people in the order into which they applied, to see whether or not you've made it through that line to get a ticket. And if you didn't, by the time you would go back and check what the other one's off, you're dead in the water. The thing is, I uh, was talking to somebody online, and I think it was New York State that they went through this. To get online, uh, yeah, it was New York State. You have to go through 51 – they counted 51 questions. 
And if you screw up any one of them, you have to start all over again and the system will kick you out. 51 questions. Now, somebody – look, I can sit there and and go through the mind-numbing borderline boredness of that. But I got to tell you, I know some people like some of my uh, my aunts and uncles. I'm thinking when they were in their uh, 70s, there's no way that they were going to be able to get through something like that. And, uh, That's right. you know, That's right. they're they're not computer savvy. So you're, the and, people who are most in need of this right now, aside from the frontline workers who should be getting it directly, are not going to be able to sign up very well. And and even if they do everything right, the system may not put them through. Well, there's a lot of de- anger down here that they that they took the, the limit, cutoff limit down to 65. There's a lot of feeling down here it should have been 75 first and then 70 and then 65. I can sort of see that. Ticket. Well, you know, in other words, it help the depends. help the people who need it most who are because the older you are, theoretically, the more vulnerable you would be right. to it. But it. But everything depends on your own sense of perspective. OK, yeah. seriously, um, I have a nan who's in a, in, a, in a retirement community in Pennsylvania. She has not been out of her room for 10 months. Yeesh. Uh, now, you know, I would have assumed that they are they would have had shots into those resident communities. <laughs> Don't long, assume anything with this state. Long before now, okay? Yeah. yeah, well, I hear what you're saying. And I talked to her, and my wife said, I couldn't deal with that. My wife couldn't deal with that. I'd be I'd be buying firearms through the mail. You know? Yeah, the, well. The, I, 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 no, nobody's going to lock me in a room for 10 months and tell me I can't come out. Think that's, again. That's, that's called prison. Yeah, and, and not only that, not only will they lock you in the room, but they'll move the COVID patients down the hall from you. Thank you, New York and Pennsylvania, both governors who did that. Morons. Well, well, that's my personal about, opinion, and I can express it. Don't, I, don't blame have, Harry. But I have no faith that this new government is going to change any of this. Yeah. We have to take a break here. Oh, we're running, yeah. running way late. But I, we were talking about beers before. I'm going to give you a name, and you are either going to immediately go, oh, or you're going to go, what? Are you nuts? Uh, but I'll, I'll give you the uh, the the break to look it up. Well, let's 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 no no that's okay. Let's, oh, okay, old. I like to go off the top of my head. Let's 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 do some business and keep you on the air. Everybody. Okay, I'll give you the name of the thing. Old frothing slosh. The opinions you hear on WRTA are the hosts, callers, and guests, and are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or advertisers. Sorge Funeral Home and Crematory in Hollidaysburg is the only funeral home in Blair County with an in-house crematory. This means that you'll have peace of mind knowing that your loved one will never leave our care. With an accessible, ground-level facility, beautiful, spacious chapels, and our unique banquet room, you'll find our facilities and staff will exceed your expectations. The Sorge Funeral Home and Crematory in Hollidaysburg. Visit SorgeFuneralHome.com. Ooh, a fondue set. Now I need to find a coupon code. Not anymore, Susan. Capital One Shopping instantly searches for available coupon codes and automatically applies them at checkout. Wait, instantly? It's called shopping smart, not hard. Download Capital One Shopping to your computer for free and let it do the work for you. Don't mind if I fondue. Ah, <laughs> that's kind of cheesy. Capital One Shopping. It's kind of genius. What's in your wallet? Savings and available coupons vary. Looking around your law firm, it's hard not to be proud of what you've created. A respected brand with 20 associates who give their all every day. 
You have what it takes to go big. Everything except a plan. How will you expand your footprint or increase revenue? Lexicon makes it possible. Lexicon is a legal services and technology provider with over a decade of experience helping law firms scale and grow while maximizing billable hours and maintaining client satisfaction. Call 855-4-LEXICON or visit lexiconservices.com slash grow to learn more. Local and connected to Central PA. This is Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. 9460435 Talk Radio 98.5 WRTA. Harry Rinker is in What You Got. By the way, the next time he'll be on with us will be February 15th, which is Monday, February 15th, Washington's birthday or President's Day, whichever you prefer to say yes i know his birthday was the 22nd but it's observed but anyway so i mentioned to harry before we went to the break i uh, just dropped the bomb of old frothing slosh do you remember that harry no but who wouldn't want a collectible old flashing slosh or whatever they call it frothing uh, slosh yes. i gotta say i just this past week somebody that i follow on facebook actually got one of the beer cans of old frothing slosh they'd been looking for years and they were over the moon about this and all the people were just ooing and aahing over the picture frothing slosh was a beer that started as a radio gag in pittsburgh many moons ago see power of radio and uh, it became a reality because the folks that did iron city started putting out old frothing ah. slosh Around the holidays, and according to an article that I uh, that I found online here from uh, one of the Pittsburgh sites, one of the original cans going back to the 50s goes for $400 now. I don't know if it's really worth that or if that's even true oh, anymore. Oh, yeah, but Iron City, I mean, Iron City was a great brewing company, and the, the, the collectors of Iron City beers, uh, in not, largely in Pittsburgh, of course, but or in the area surrounding Pittsburgh, were they... I always wanted to put together a collection of neat collectibles from strange-sounding places. Uh, in Berks County, there's a town called Hinnerschitz. Now, now I, I turned Careful. down an opportunity <laughs> to buy a history of the Hinnerschitz church. But I, Shit. I, it's the name of the town, okay? Yes, I no, I'm not making this. And there are there are wor- the and map. by the way, there are worse ones in Pennsylvania. Don't anybody name in anymore? But okay, so you, you want to collect all these goofball uh, uh, well, beer cans? But, but you know, but that's you know one of the things that we do a lot on this show is we we joke around a lot about antiques and collectibles, and that's what I think is exciting. If you can't laugh about this stuff, you shouldn't be doing it, right? Right. Because because it, because there was a time in the trade back in the 50s and 60s when collectors were so serious. Oh, my God. Oh, some of the radio people I met at it conventions was, were just, oh, you don't want to know. Yeah, I was going to say, and, you Most know. Humor, some, not, not the majority, but there were always uh, the, the, the oh, humorless yeah. stick in the mud. Was well, like, this, you're not taking this seriously. It's like, dude, I traveled five hours to get here. I'm taking it seriously. Hey, listen, if you didn't see the announcement from president from the incoming president today, there was a wonderful one. It said it said to his academic advisor, to his advisors who are writing an academic language, please call up your mother and read what you've written to them, and if she doesn't understand it, change it. Good. Yes. He said of most politicians. I, I mean, by the I way. mean, I have to tell On you, both it, sides. Yes, you know, having been around academe and the people associated with it for years, I have never had a lot of respect for academic language uh, when it is 
used inappropriately. Let's well, you get, you'd get along very well with the host who's uh, on our uh, program from uh, 9 to 11 because uh, he was in academia and he was for a very short time an elected official because he thought he could do a great deal of good in Harrisburg and he gave it the old college try. If you, uh, that, uh, That's As another story. Say, yes. Yeah, uh, but old frothing slosh, I'll send you a link to the article I was talking oh, about. If people well, want to see it, means. it's on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash WRTA. Well, I, I'm, and I'm going to send you, uh, just for our listeners, uh, I do have a picture of that, the Polish catalog we talked about earlier that belonged to uh, the Clarkster, and I will send you that email. Great, we'll put that on Facebook as well, as well as a podcast of this program. Real quickly, you, you mentioned something about Beanie Babies while we were off the air. Ah, I've been contacted by a, a group that's doing a three-hour documentary on Beanie Babies. Three hours. During this Beanie Baby craze, I was known as the Beanie Meanie. Could you say it's not worth I anything? Was, that's, I was the one that went on national television, argued with the ladies that wrote the price guides and the other parts of that, uh, saying that this too shall pass, like bad like bad food and other things. And when that bear came along at the millennium called The End, it just dropped out. Yep, yep. And... and uh, I talked to the producer, and um, she's indicated to me that that there's still a. By the way, there's still a hardcore Beanie Baby collectors in Chicago. By uh, the well, then Chicago should come to Belfont, Pennsylvania, and it's near Penn State because <laughs> yeah, right. two weekends ago I saw a pile of them for a dollar sixty-four each. How did they get a dollar sixty-four? I have no idea, but is anyone you wanted a dollar sixty-four? And they didn't look like they were beat to death and, and dirty either. They they looked almost new. No, I did not buy any. That's a, that's a strange. That's I mean, you, even if you add in Pennsylvania sales tax, it doesn't add up to two bucks even. I, they're selling it, not me. Harry Rinker, uh, you can you can find him on his website, which we'll also put a link to on that, and it's Harry at AOL.com, right? Harry, Harry L. Rinker. Harry L. L. Rinker at AOL.com. And please send me some questions with JPEG photos. I'd love to be able to research them. Thanks, Harry. Hey, take care. Have a great week.